Well, we are in the midst of Advent season, and this is a time where our church is, is trying, we as a church are trying to focus our attention on Christ this Christmas. And if that's your desire, if that's something that you're trying to do, if you're trying to intentionally think about Christ this time of year, you, you may find that it's somewhat difficult. It might be difficult to quiet your heart and focus your joy on Christ. It may feel a little bit like you're swimming upstream and against the culture. It seems like everything around us in our culture is competing with Christ during, during Christmas. The, the retailers say focus on shopping, and the Hallmark Channel says focus on the family or entertainment, and, and your to-do list says focus on all these things that you have to do to prepare because there's just so much to do. Well, that's why during this Advent season, we as a church are, are, are gathering together to try to settle our hearts before the Lord to be sure that we don't miss Christ this Christmas season. I wonder how much of your thoughts have been given over to Christ this season. Is it just when we light a candle or sing a song or or gather on a Sunday, or is your heart being settled before the Lord? Well, I can't think of a better way to, to refocus our hearts on Christ than to hear a word from God. And this morning, we're going to consider a very famous portion of the Christmas story. We're going to examine the specific message that the angel delivered to some unsuspecting shepherds there on, on Christmas night. But in order to do that, we need to study some basic angelology. Isn't that a fun word? Right? Angelology? It's, it's, what, do you think, what do you think angelology is, right? Wild guess. It's the study of angels, right? It's the, it's the study of angels. And there's lots that we can learn about the Bible. And I'd commend, you know, this is an interesting study. And we won't take it up much this morning, except for to consider one important note about angels. One of the primary things that we see angels do in the Bible is to be messengers, to deliver a piece of news from God to, to man. They are bringing a message from God. And that's exactly what we have in our text before us this morning. An angel of the Lord appeared, and he brought a message from the Lord. A message from the Lord. They, the angel came with news. The angel came speaking for the Lord, for God himself. And if we want to hear God, and if we want to hear from him, and if we want to understand this, this Christmas story, then we need to understand these words as coming from the Lord. And so this morning, we're going to, we're going to examine four parts of this angelic message and see how this message is intended to give us joy, to give us Joy. So if you'll look down at Luke chapter 2, we'll start in verse 8 and we'll read through verse 12. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the flock, out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. 
And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Will you please pray with me one more time? Father, as we come before you this morning, we come with all sorts of distractions. We come with all sorts of thoughts that are going on in our mind. But Lord, I pray that today, would you settle our hearts before you and would you open our ears and our mind and our hearts that we would hear from you. Father, my prayer today is that you would accomplish what only you can. So to that end, I pray, let my words fall to the ground, blow away and be forgotten. No one needs to hear from me. We need to hear from you. So give us your word and cause it to bear fruit in our hearts, we pray. In your name, amen. So let's consider this message that the angel delivers to the shepherds this morning. There's a couple things we see about it, but the first thing that we see, the first thing that God says through his messenger, the angel, is don't be afraid, I come in peace. Don't be afraid, I come in peace. Now, the Christmas story, as told by uh, Luke in his gospel, has three different angelic appearances. Three different times we see an angel appearing. The first one is when an angel appears to, to Zechariah, and then later when an angel appears to Mary, and then now a third time here in chapter 2, an angel appears to, to the shepherds. Now, I've never seen an angel. Uh, I, I can't speak from firsthand experience, but I can understand how that would be a, a scary thing because I've read, I've read the scriptures, right? The, the Bible tells us enough about angels to completely dismantle the precious moment angel idea. Have you seen those things, right? Maybe you have some of those in your house. I'm sorry if I'm hurting you. Have you seen the precious moment angels, right? They're cute little cutesy cartoon little figures. I mean, that's not the picture of angels that we get at all in the scriptures. The Bible describes angels as warriors, right? The host, is that's a military, military type term. Angels were commanders of, of armies of, of warriors. And in every one of the angelic accounts, in the book of Luke, and really all throughout the scriptures, we see that those who see angels are terrified. They're terrified. And, and Luke uh, tells us how the angels say the same thing every time. And it's important enough for him to record it. The first thing the angel says every time is what? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid because we've come with good news. I've come with good news. In every single instance, the very first thing that the angel addresses is fear. Don't be afraid. Now, why do you suppose that is? Why do, you, why do you think that the angel would be concerned that humans are not afraid? Well, I once heard a story about a very poor English farmer at the turn of the uh, early, early 1900s, the turn of the 20th century, who was, who was living in the English countryside and was trying to scrape by on his farm to make a living. The man went by the name of Jones, just Jones. He was an honest, hardworking, but unfortunate man. He worked night and day to try to provide for his, his small, impoverished family. But he had come upon hard times. The last couple of years had, had produced bad crops, and the man became destitute and found himself deeply in debt. 
to his dismay, debt collectors began to show up at his house constantly. They, they were coming again and again. And, and, you know, he owed money not just to the bank, not just to one institution, but to several institutions because he, so, he was so deeply in, in debt. So they were all starting to come by. Well, most of these debt collectors were, were big, big kind of guys. They were tall and burly sorts of fellows that made their presence more intimidating to, you know, I suppose, extract a, a quicker payment. And, um, but, but Jones didn't have the money. He was, he was, he was poor, and he was, he was miserable. He didn't know what to do. He was humiliated, and he was depressed. He had done all that he could, and, you know, eventually his depression turned into, into mania. Day after day, the debt collectors would come looking for him, and it was all he could think about. It was all that he would dream about, and the pressure began to uh, intensify. He started to dream and fantasize about running away. Maybe he could get to, to Ireland, where no one knew him, and he could perhaps start, start over. Jones also began to secretly think about taking his own life and just, just ending it all. That's one way to, to escape it. Well, one day, Jones noticed a new man that was coming by. He was getting familiar with the faces of all these debt collectors, and, and one looked different from the rest. He was a short fellow, a little bit older. He was, he was dressed a little bit more, a little bit more nicely than, than the rest, and he was an out-of-towner for sure. It was a small village, and, and Jones knew everyone. And, and this gentleman, he would, he would come by multiple times a day, even at night, and he would leave a notice that he had urgent news and, and to contact him down at the local pub, to contact him immediately. Well, Jones assumed that, that this fellow was just some, some sort of tactic from the bank to, to trick him because he, he was starting to hide. His, his fear grew worse. He began to sleep in, in the barn and then in the woods away from folks. But then one night, this new traveler happened to catch him as he headed out to the barn. Jones figured that this was the end, that this man surely would take him away to, to prison. But what he heard could not have been more startling. It turns out that this this well-dressed man was not a debt collector, but in fact, he was the agent of his cousin's estate. As it turns out, uh, several months ago, a distant cousin of Jones, he and his whole family had perished in an accident and left Jones as the sole heir of his estate, which was worth more than 20,000 20, pounds. Jones was stunned. He didn't, he didn't know what to say. I mean, he, he couldn't believe his ears. His family had lived on less than 100 pounds a year his whole life, and now he had just come into a fortune of 20,000 pounds. He began to kind of chuckle because all this time he had been living in fear of this man, assuming that he had bad news, and in fact he had good news. But now the fear was gone, and Jones was full of great joy. You see, it's impossible to be joyful when you're afraid. It's hard to be excited when you are terrified. And so the very first word of the gospel, the first word of the angel's gospel is, don't be afraid. Now, you may not feel very afraid today, right? We don't have, we're not looking at an angel. We're not face-to-face -face with, with God. We, not, we may not be very afraid of God in general, but you see, we have good reason to be. We, we indeed should be afraid. The Bible commands us to, to fear and to tremble. 
And the reason for that is that all of us are sinners. And sinners, when we come face to face with God, we do exactly what Adam and Eve did. We run. We, we hide. Just like Adam and Eve hid in the garden, all humanity is rightly afraid of the presence of God. Just as a guilty criminal fears the police, so too do sinners fear the living God. You see, the law of God, God's, God's commands for us, reveal why we should be afraid. Because every single one of us, no matter what your story is, no matter what walk of life you're in or how frequently you attend church, for every one of us, the story is the same, that, that each of us is a lawbreaker. If you've read the Old Testament, all throughout the Bible, we, we see that whenever the presence of God was manifested among the people, whenever God came down and exposed any part of himself to humanity, it always wreaked havoc. It always brought devastation and, and even chaos. People were afraid. A lot of times, people just died. God would come and people would just die because of God's incredible holiness. For these people, these shepherds, both the law and experience had taught them that a sinful man cannot stand in the presence of God without fearing and without trembling, perhaps without even dying. But the angels came and they said, hey, don't be afraid. All of that has changed. It's changed now. The, the very first word of the gospel is don't be afraid because God is coming to his people in an entirely new way. He's coming in a new way. And he says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid because now I come in peace. I come in peace. No longer is it a dreadful thing for sinful man to approach his maker. There's been a change. God is no longer unapproachable. Look, He's in a manger, a baby. We can now approach him. And that's good news. That's the angel's Christmas message begins with, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of God. I come with peace. God comes in peace. But the message, fear not, was not the angel's main message. It was really just to get them ready for the better news that was coming, which the angel moves on to Next, look back down at the next phrase in this verse. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Okay, so this second part of God's word to us uh, that comes to the angel is what? Well, let me put it like this. God is saying to us, I want you to be happy. I want you to be seriously happy. The key note of the angelic message here is what? It's joy. It's joy, not just some kind of vague happiness. I'm talking about a deeply felt, gut-wrenching, circumstance-proof, unshakable happiness. Look back down at how he describes this news in verse 10. I bring you what kind of news? Good news of what? Great joy. Now, the joy that the angel was speaking about, this was not small joy. This was not average joy. He didn't just say, I come and I bring good news or that I bring uh, news of joy. 
No, every single word is emphatic. Every single word is emphasizing how big of a deal this is. The great, uh, the great preacher Charles Spurgeon, he, he put it like this. It is as if the angel is using words like this to show us that the gospel is above all things intended to promote and will most abundantly create the greatest possible joy in the human heart wherever it is received. The greatest possible joy. The joy that is given by God at this first Christmas is no small thing. When God says that the joy that he brings is great joy, he's not exaggerating. He's not reaching for words to try to get our attention. He is saying this is a big deal. This is not some secondary joy. This is not the kind of joy that, that comes from being with your family at Christmas or the kind of joy that you get in the garden or the joy that you get from buying stuff, right? The, these joys of earth are legitimate, but they're small. They're so small, and they can be lost. They go away so fast. No, this isn't the kind of joy that can be rattled. There's no diagnosis that can touch this joy. Not a miscarriage, not even a death. This is lasting joy. This is deeply rooted happiness. Not some happiness that can be lost with some bad circumstances. Not some happiness that can be taken away even by death. You see, the gospel brings with it the greatest and the truest happiness imaginable because the gospel is the one permanent circumstance that overshadows all temporary circumstances in your life. The gospel is the one permanent circumstance that overshadows all other circumstances in your life. We live in a world that is terribly broken. I look across the auditorium this morning, I see folks who are grieving the loss of loved ones, of spouses, of fathers, even of children. And we're reminded we can lose our children we can lose our health. We can lose our freedom. We can lose our finances, our security. Given the right, or I suppose the wrong set of circumstances, all of those things could be gone even tonight. They could all be taken, which means that all the happiness that you find in those things would be gone with them. But the joy, the happiness that comes with the gospel of Jesus Christ is a lasting, rock-solid joy. It's cancer-proof, coma-proof, death-proof joy. God's good news of great joy, it will not and it cannot be reversed. It is not diminishing. It is joy immeasurable and joy everlasting. Do you know what this means? This means that at the first Christmas, the God of heaven cracked open the sky and sent down an army of angelic messengers carrying the message, I want you to be happy. And I mean seriously happy. I want to give you, give you a joy and a happiness that is so deep, so permanent that no circumstance can touch it. 
good news of great joy. And look what comes next. This joy is for who? This joy is for all people. In other words, we could see a third part about this message is that this joy is available now. Not only does God say, hey, I come in peace, don't be afraid. And not only does God say, I want you to be happy, but God says the time is now. This joy is available now. This joy is not just for the rich. The joy is not just for the Jews or for the healthy or for the whites. This joy is for all people. And it's available today. It's available right now for Unto you is born this day. What stunning news this is for us. We live in a world that is racked by sin, where death does and will steal every bit of temporal happiness from you. Do you realize that? Death is going to take every good thing from you. And God comes and says, real joy. This is a world where disease rots away the bodies of those we love. How, how do we live like that? How do, we, how do we live like that where marriages are ruined by anger and by miscommunication where children wander away and break our hearts? And yet God says, joy immeasurable, joy everlasting is available now. So church, let me ask you, in this world of disappointments and, and small other competing joys, how much joy do you have this Christmas? In a world of disappointments and broken relationships and, and bad memories and grief, how much joy do you have this Christmas? Or perhaps I could put it another way. How much of your joy and your happiness is connected to that baby in a manger? Or how much of it is connected to the things that can be lost? Does it depend on other things? That, that the, the same sort of things that people found joy in before Christmas, right? Is, is that where your joy? But the angel brought good news. That this sort of joy, this lasting joy is available. It's available now. And it's available for you if you would take hold of it. So church, do you have that joy? Well, the angel doesn't stop here, right? He continues. He goes on to list why we should have this kind of joy. You might be hearing this and thinking, I don't know any sort of happiness like you're talking about. Well, the angel explains to us why that can be the case. That's why in verse 11 begins with the word for, right? He's saying all this joy is coming and, and it is for for you. Here's, here's why it comes. It, and this is helpful for us because you might be thinking, you know, Pastor, I hear what you're saying. I just don't have that kind of joy. I, I, I just don't have that. There's, you don't understand what's happened in my life. You don't, you don't know what's, what's going on. I, I want to have it. I just, I just don't know how. I just, I can't see it. How, how, do, how do you get that? Well, let's consider some reasons why this joy is available to us. I see several. One of the first reasons that we see that we can have joy is that Christ is for us. Christ came for us. Look back down at this next phrase. For, in verse, uh, verse 11, for unto you, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. 
Beloved, if you can hear my voice this morning, then come hear this. Christ came for you. Christ came for you. You may be thinking this joy isn't, this kind of joy is not possible, that my life is just too hard, or you know what, preacher guy, you don't, you don't know my life. You don't know how much I've messed up. I've made such a mess of my family. I've made such a mess of my finances or, or my relationships. Listen to me. Christ came for you. He came for you. The, the news of Christmas is that God Almighty has given himself to us. He's given himself to man. He has come as one of us. He has lived among us. He came to bear our burdens. He came to take our sin. Jesus is God's gift to mankind. A child. A child that will take away the greatest problem of your life. The greatest problem for humanity. Sin. And all that goes with it. Here's the thing. You have to receive this gift. That is, you must take a personal interest in this child. This birth is no good for you if you do not identify with his death. Oh, that each person here would be able to say with both joy and sincerity in his heart that I am truly happy this Christmas because I truly believe in Jesus. Can you, can you say that in your heart? Can you say that I really believe Jesus? Not, not just intellectually, but that your life has changed because of this person and because of his teaching. Can you say that it was for me, it was unto me that Christ has been born. I'm as sure of it as if an angel announced it because I believe in Jesus and he is mine. Friends, that is the source of circumstance-proof joy. That's where it comes from. There's a second reason we can have joy, and that is that the time has finally come. Leave it on the slide. For unto you is born when? This day, in the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Now this is a point that can be a little bit tricky for us to comprehend, since, since every one of us is living at this point in history, at this side, the other side of Christmas. We haven't had to wait for Christ, the promised one. We have always lived knowing that he has come. But we know what it's like to live in heavy anticipation. Especially if you have children, right? Just uh, two days after Thanksgiving, uh, our family put up a Christmas tree. And I've got a couple little girls, and let me tell you what, they were excited. Karis was excited because she knew what the Christmas tree meant. And Addie was excited because Karis was excited. And, and there's glass, glass balls to break. That's always fun too, right? And, and Karis, she's really starting to get the hang of, of this Christmas stuff. And she's, she, she knows what it means, but she's still trying to get her mind around this countdown, right? The Christmas countdown. And, and so that November, that November night, right, just two days after Thanksgiving, once we got the tree decorated, my daughter Karis stood up and pronounced, Addie, tomorrow is Christmas, Right? And so we had to, you know, break the news. No, Christmas is like 
30 days away or what, you know, whatever it is. And, and so to help her with the countdown, we have like 15 different Advent calendars. They're all over the place. We got countdowns. We got, you know, elf on shelves. We've got, you know, a little bot. We got all sorts of different, you cross off, you write. We've got all sorts of countdown calendars and that are, that are helping her to get, to get ready. And, and we all understand that. We know what it's like to be bursting with anticipation, if you've ever read all the way through the Old Testament, then you get a better sense of what this anticipation must have been like, right? You feel page after page, book after book of, of longing, of thousands of years of suffering and death and sin and pain, all with the hopeful promise of the prophets that, that is mixed in. You can, you can, if you've read it, you can feel it in your bones, right? You can feel it. It's all this time, the suffering, the longing, century after century of oppression and slavery and captivity and idolatry. Children are born, they live a little, and then they die. All because of sin, they die over and over and over again, all with the promise of the prophets laying over their head, almost taunting them, one day I'll come for you. One day I'll come for you. I'm going to send a ruler, a lasting ruler. He'll, he'll sit on the throne of David, and under his rule, there'll be only peace. There will be no end to his kingdom and his government. Death will be a memory. That, is, that day is coming. And then finally, one day, angels cracked open the sky and flooded the night with light, announcing the time has come. The time has finally come that, that those of you, all of us who sit in a land darkened by the shadow of death, the rescuer has come. That even though we as a church live on the backside of Christmas, we still find ourselves waiting, don't we? We're still waiting for Him to come back, waiting for Him to finally bring the full scope of His rule to put an end to death, to put an end to suffering, to put an end to, to comas. These angelic words remind us God's words are true. He came once in church. Guess what? He will come again. He's coming again. It's just around the corner, which means that we can rest on the fact. We can have joy in another reason is that God's words are true. For millennia, for centuries, the prophets kept saying, He's coming. He's, he's going to come. And even, they even said where? They said He would come in, in the city of David. And, and years and years passed, and God's people, most of them gave up on God's words. Right? They, 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 they forgot. And then lo and behold, this day, in the city of David, a Savior is born. Friends, we can be reminded that every promise of God that we have, that we have seen fulfilled, all of God's words that we've seen fulfilled in the Scriptures, they teach us what? We can trust His Word. We can trust that the words that have not come true yet, they will come true. There are so many extravagant promises in the Bible that that, that are yet to be filled. And if we really believe them, if we really banked our lives on them, then guess what? You would find a source of lasting joy. 
We don't have the kind of joy the angels are describing because we haven't set our hope fully in the Scriptures and in the promises that are coming. You see, Christians are a people whose hope is deferred. Our hope is deferred. We are people who, yes, we live with present joy, but the main reason for that is because we are assured that joy is coming. It's coming for us. Oh, dear Christian, if you come to Christmas this year and and your joy tank is empty, if it's running low, if it's leaking, go back to the Bible. Go back to the Bible and fill it up. It is a constant source of replenishment that fills up leaky tanks of joy. But the angel continues. He, he gives us a, another reason for joy. That these reasons, this joy would come in the person of a little baby. Three precious words that are given to us that declare who this baby is. The identity of this boy. Verse 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. This child will be a Savior. Go on to the next slide there if you want. Uh, It will be a Savior. God had come to earth before. He had come down, but not as a Savior. He had come with vengeance. So often throughout the Bible, we see God coming as vengeance. He descended on Egypt as the angel of death. He descended on Mount Sinai with smoke and terror and trembling. He descended on Sodom with fire and the sword. But tonight, this night, the God of heavens did not come in vengeance, but He came as a man in mercy. He did not come to spy out our sin, but to remove it. He did not come with a sword, but He came waving a flag of peace. He came not to punish guilt, but to remove it. He could have sent another plague, right? He he could have sent another judge or another prophet saying with tears, wait a little longer, but instead He sent a Savior. Oh, those of you who know yourself to be a sinner, who understand that you need a Savior, rejoice with great joy, because God has not come to destroy you. He has come to seek you. He has come to save you. Oh, those of us who know that that we sit imprisoned in the shadow of death, rejoice because God has come with light to break our chains. Those of us who are starving for bread, rejoice the bread of life has come to feed our hungry souls. Oh, rejoice all the peoples of the earth for a Savior has been born. Not some political blowhard, not some peddler of cheap pleasures. He is a warrior deliverer. This God is mighty to save, so rejoice. God has not sent a teacher to correct our knowledge problem. He hasn't sent a judge to punish our indiscretion. He sent a Savior to deal with our sin problem. And deal with it, He did. We also see that this Savior is called the Christ. He is the Messiah, the Anointed One. Our Lord was not some amateur. 
He was not an amateur savior on an unauthorized mission. He was not acting on his own accord. No, he was chosen. He was anointed. He was set apart by God, sent to crush the works of the devil. Christ himself came as the authorized agent of God, sent on his behalf to make peace with sinful man. And it's a good thing because he was the only one authorized for the job. He was the only one who had the credentials, the only one who could be both God and both man. He was the only one who was able to bear the wrath of God for sin and still live. Church, if we could only understand, if we could receive this into our hearts, our souls would be full of joy. For unto us is born a Savior who is authorized by the Lord. And that brings us to the final point, the final reason for joy. This Savior who is Christ, He is also the Lord. He's not a swell fellow. He's not a good-hearted guy. God did not entrust an angel to deal with the problem of sin. Though Michael was the captain of angel armies, he wasn't strong enough. This baby is the Lord. He is Jehovah. He is God Himself. God Himself has come among us. There could be no clearer expression of His divinity that the infinite and the Almighty has taken on flesh and come among us. God has determined once and, to, once and for all to take up man's problem of sin, to drink the cup of His own wrath. Just think of it. The God who made you, the God whom you yourself have offended with your sin, He has taken it upon Himself to take our nature and to come from heaven that He might save us. Friends, is this not an occasion for joy? Is this not an occasion for happiness? Does this, not, does this great love not awaken in you such great happiness? Can you not see that, that it was for, if it was not for this divine baby, that our lives would be in utter wretchedness and hopelessness, waiting for death? But as the song says, Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel has come to dwell with us. Will you pray with me? Father, we ask that you would give us a sense of your glory. Help us to feel in our hearts and in our minds and in our bones the, the great need that we have for a Savior. Father, for those of us who, as we hear your word and as we consider your person, if we don't tremble, help us to see you clearly. And help us to see Christ the Savior. We ask this in your name.